Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Boy, howdy. No truer words were ever spoken. Uh, welcome to another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander with you. Bunker to France here. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. I'm not a lawyer. Howdy, howdy. And our special guest today very is special. Cr- very special, Chris Enns. An American author and screenwriter, she has written more than 20 books on the subject of women in the Old West and has done tons of collaborations on screenplays and whatnot. Hi, Chris. Hey, how are you, gentlemen? Thank you so much for having me on the program. We've been more than 40 books altogether. Yeah, you're you're in a a race with Johnny Boggs on, on how many books, right? Well, you know... Johnny, uh, Johnny's amazing, and he has uh, won a spur in I don't know how many different categories. I'm just, uh, I'm just a schlub, just running <laughs> to, to to be a part of the group. So, <laughs> well, you know, the, what it, Boggs' secret, I heard, I've heard this, is that he writes in even when he's taking a shower. <laughs> wow, that's really good. That's really good. Uh, my, the only thing that I have to say is I, I really haven't slept since 1972. So, you know. <laughs> I can believe that. All right. You know, well, look, looking up stuff about you, I found blogs and sites and, and yeah. I mean, and all kinds co- of stuff. You cover more. You cover more ground than a well, than she, a Mormon pickle. Well, she used she used to be she used to be in Tucson too. Yeah. She, I did. I absolutely loved it. I uh, worked at different radio stations there in town. Yeah. I went to University of Arizona. I worked out at Old Tucson as a stunt person. It was the best job I ever Ooh. had in my whole life. Who was out there when you when you were doing the stunts? Who were the stunt guys out there at that time? Oh boy, there was a guy that worked out there. Honest to goodness, his name was Brent Rock. I mean, you <laughs> couldn't make that up. Funny. That was the guy's real name, Brent yeah. Rock. Funny, funny. Was, funny. Uh, was that during Jack Young's days? Yes, it was. Oh, what a great guy. And yeah, Jack was a good guy, and uh, there was a couple of twins that worked out there. And you know, we, uh, Western Riders of America was just there last year for their convention, uh, and right. I saw a couple of guys that I worked with a hundred years ago. So <laughs> that's cool. You know, a couple really, years ago really they had a uh, convention of gunfighters out there, yeah. and it was all the guys that had worked out there, plus other nice. other, other uh, guys out there. But it was an event, I'll tell you. Well, one of the other reasons we have Chris on the program today is because uh, Voices of the West is entering into a uh, sponsorship with Western Riders of America. And as part of that sponsorship, we're affording uh, writers from the organization to be on the show. And, of course, they can be on the show any time, but this is just a special time for us for this sort of thing to happen. And Chris is the president, newly elected president of Western Riders, so... We figured we'd have her on, talk about the organization, and uh, just go from there. I thought we were having her on because she was blackmailing us. Oh, well, <laughs> we weren't supposed to talk about oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Now, see, now, and now we have to go back to the blackmailing drawboard again. Oh, okay. well, this, see, I'll, I'll get it out in the open. That way we yeah. can get out from under the see, This is a constant problem with DeFrance. He opens up before he's should. <laughs> Yeah, that's my but job. yeah, I am. Um, <clears throat> Western Riders America is a wonderful organization. It's been around for more than sixty years. It is comprised of um, authors from a variety of different areas, whether it be um, romance, Western romances, whether it be nonfiction or fiction, or documentary, um, screenplay, poetry, and even music. And um, hopefully, I'll be able to talk with you guys next year. Um, Mark, author Mark Jackson and I have uh, written a song together called The Cowgirl's Lament. Oh, cool. And uh, we'll be uh, recording that come October. So. We'll nice. get into our playlist. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was, it's, really, it's, it's really been quite amazing. I have never, um, I've never written a song before, but I, I had an idea that I shared with Mark last year, as a matter of fact, when we were at Old Tucson. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, was telling him about uh, a woman that I met who had been absolutely in love with Casey Tibbs, but um, cow- mm. cowboy Casey Tibbs, mm-hmm. but he uh, you know, didn't, didn't care much uh, about sticking around with her for any length of time. So uh, we just kind of 
decided uh, we'd make that into a song. So oh, cool. How long you anyway. been with? How long have you been with Western Writers? I have been with Western Writers. I think about eight years. And what prompted you to decide to go for the leadership position? Well, um, I love the organization. I love the people. I love the whole idea that you're dedicated to um, letting the American public know that writing about the American frontier is more than just Zane Gray or Louis L'Amour. Not that there's anything wrong with those guys at all, but there is so much more about writing um, about the American West than just those two gentlemen. And you want to be able to let people know that it is comprised of so much. I mean, just like I write nonfiction books about women of the Old West. Mm -hmm. And um, when you think about books about the frontier, as I said, your brain doesn't automatically run to um, so many other people who have um, built the organization. Uh, And that's one of the things that I enjoy about it, being able to let people know that um, Western Writers of America is this phenomenal organization comprised of more than 700 members and that um, they're members from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And um, just let people know what we do and, and the conventions that we have, although sadly we've had to, had to cancel our convention for this year right. because of the uh, dreaded virus, mm-hmm. um, which was a hard decision to make, but I think the proper decision sure. to make oh, given yeah. everything that's going on. But. Uh, our next convention is going to be in Loveland, Colorado in 2021, and we, we are hoping everybody comes and joins us for that event. That's cool. Oh, by the way, Doug Hawking says hi. Oh, hey. hey, Doug. He's a good guy. <laughs> Smart guy. Yes, he and, is. Um, you know, he's an Arizona guy. Yes, you know, he I, is. I uh, grew up, my dad was stationed at Fort Huachuca, so I grew up in Sierra Vista and went to high school, Boyne High School in Sierra Vista, which right now there is no high school. It's a, um, I think that it's a Home Depot now. Oh, my God. They closed yeah. it down. You know, Harry's got a uh, Fort Huachuca connection. Yeah. Well, tell her about it. Well, my, my great-granddad served at uh, Fort Huachuca uh, Troop. Uh, it was B Troop, 4th U.S. Cav. Oh, uh, how about that? Yeah. That's amazing. I know. Yeah, my, <laughs> my dad was the commander of the Honor Guard. Oh, and, Wow. Uh, Nice. My dad was an incredibly, I mean, he was very, very strict. And um, my dad would go out and tell our dog to lay down, and every dog in the neighborhood would do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was just, he was a, he was a tough cuss. <laughs> you, said, you said yes, sir, and no, sir, and yeah. mean, you. And even to this day, you know, I, I'm still, I'm pushing 60, and I still remember all those things my dad taught me. Well, and Did you sleep in starched uh, pajamas? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and fix your bed so the quarter pops off of the top. Well, we did definitely have to keep our drawers the way that you would a military yep. footlocker, you know, I mean, the way yep. the socks have to be folded. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, as I say, I'm pushing 60, my drawer still looks that way. I'm afraid my dad's going to pop in any moment and go, let's see. He will. Okay. He, he will, too. You, you just yeah. know it. So, yeah. Well, you know an interesting I, thing. I think, I think growing up in Sierra Vista and spending all those years in Arizona gave me such a lovely American West because that is the American West. Yeah, it's good country. Um, there's there's so much that um, has happened there, so much history there, and uh, you're just steeped in it. You have to you have to wipe it away like cobwebs. Well, you know, Cochise County, in some ways, is probably close to being the most historic county in the state. The others have got a lot of history, but you look at Cochise County, you know the. The that's, Western that, history. That's where there. most of it happened. Yeah, was in Cochise County. Yeah. Right, and they've and they pretty much left it alone. Thank God, they yeah. haven't turned it into a parking lot or anything else like that. They, yeah. you can. I mean, when I, I wrote a book, and I spoke with you guys not too long ago, uh, called "According to Kate." Yes, yes. Um, the uh, legendary life of a big nose Kate Elder, and if you go to Cochise, Arizona, mm-hmm. you can still see her. The the. Um, the Guest little house. hotel that she worked yeah. at is still there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to stay there in the worst way. <laughs> you want Kate's room, huh? I don't care what. Oh, you don't care. I just, I just want to stay there because it, it just looks like such a cool place to be. Well, you and know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of spirits around there oh, too. Yeah. Well, oh. I, you know, I mean, she just that just is a testament to how smart she was. Because if you're entertaining, if you're entertaining young men, you you want to be close to the railroad track. Well, yeah, and she absolutely was. 
Location, location, location. Open the door, and there they are. That's right. I mean, she just was a, and she was a smart businesswoman, and and was always that way. I mean, was to the. She's almost ninety years old when she passes away, and smartest cookie going. Did you when when you started your writing career and and all of the the books on uh, women in the old west? Is that something that you gravitated to naturally, or was there something in there that said, hey, this is a, uh, uh, no one's touched this, and this needs to be explored? Well, I, I've, I've always had a great interest in uh, the, the women of the Old West and what they had to accomplish to, to, to make it on the prairie and on the frontier. Um, but the stories that I've, I've wanted to tell about those women... I mean, it seems like that's ground that's been well covered for so many years. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's been so well covered for so many years. But I always like to to find something about that life and, mm-hmm. and capitalize on it. Um, a few years ago, I wrote a book called According to... I'm sorry. Um, oh, my gosh. I wrote a book about uh, Annie Oakley uh, called The Trials of Annie Oakley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it, that entire book was not necessarily about her life with Buffalo Bill Cody that everybody knows about so well. That particular book is about the six years that she spent in court suing William Randolph Hearst for defamation of character. And all the trials that she went to to to, to make that happen. I mean, this guy was... um, He was an incredibly powerful man, and he was only beaten by one person, and that was Annie Oakley. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was an amazing story that unto was an itself. Ordeal. Well, I mean, you know, the guy. And I just, I just love the, to find find out about little known facts about what these women did in the old west mm-hmm. and, and how they achieved what they did. And um, I mean, good gosh, you know, if I if I go to the post office and the dry cleaner and one day I need a nap, but these were ladies <laughs> that, yeah. you know, they. How can you imagine walking as lo- as far as you as, as often as you had to if you're trekking from Independence, Missouri, all the way to California? Wow. Well, my, my my wife is fond of saying, if there is no Circle K along the way, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's yeah, the way it is. Back then, if I they mean, were wearing a mask, they were holding <laughs> up a stagecoach. Yeah, right. Why? Right, yeah, <laughs> different time. Yeah. Different time for sure. But I, I, one of the very first stories that I ever worked on was. Um, about a woman who was on the Bidwell Bartleson wagon train party, and um, all the historical accounts ever referred to her as was Mrs. Benjamin Kelsey, and she was the only woman on this uh, wagon train party that comprised more than 80 men, and she made the entire trip barefoot carrying a one-year-old baby on her hip. Mm. So she walked from Independence to California, took a little over four months, and that baby was never sick. Wow. And when I started doing research, I thought, boy, we got to find out what her name was. Yeah. Um, and then only through digging through the um, journals and diaries of these men on the wagon train that I found that her name was Nancy. Hmm. Well, you I, know, a, a lot of people give them... I probably should shut up at some point and let you fellas talk. But no, you no, know no. I'm on a roll now. So. No, keep going. Um, <laughs> That's what you're here a for. Lot of, a lot of um, people say, well, you know... History was written by men, and that's why they didn't put a whole lot of, in there about women. And mm-hmm. I just, I always get bent out of shape about that because it's not true. Um, there the... just weren't a lot of women west of the Mississippi, and what there were in the early days, they weren't women that you'd want to write anything about in the history books. Dear Ma met a hooker last night. You know, yeah, right. you're not going to put that down for yeah. posterity's yeah. sake. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's it's real interesting. You you mentioned it because. You know those those ladies were journal keepers. They had diaries. They wrote back to families back in the east, and they documented. The problem was that the the media of the day uh, didn't want to publish anything by women. It was like no, nobody wants to read that. And when you read the stuff now, you go, man, what did they miss? Well, you know, there was a wonderful woman that I wrote about. Her name was Mary Halleck Foote, and she was an incredible author, and she was also an um, illustrator, and she illustrated Nathaniel Hawthorne's books. I mean, she was an incredible force on the Western frontier, 
and she made her living for her fa- whole family, her husband and everybody, with these books that she would write, these Western romance books that she would write for the magazines. She was phenomenal. Hmm. Well, you know, there and was the a... Wallace Stagner. Wallace Stagner's a Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. author, and he wrote he won a Pulitzer Prize with a book called Angle of Repose. Yeah. But that is based on um, an exact um, story, the exact title of a story that uh, Mary Halleck Foote wrote. So Wallace Stagner kind of uh, took a lot from Mary Halleck Foote. You know, an interesting thing is I've, I've noticed that a lot of the writers that write about the early Apache era here, they, in their bibliographies, you'll see these newspaper reporters sitting there that they've taken from newspaper accounts not knowing that a lot of those reporters were actually ladies riding with a male uh, byline. Right. And, you know, it's amazing. When One of my favorite authors um, is Dorothy Johnson. And Dorothy Johnson wrote the short, short story, uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, mm-hmm. um, A Man Called Horse. I mean, she was phenomenal. But, you know, she didn't begin writing under the name Dorothy Johnson. It was D.M. Johnson. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of influence on you, didn't she? Absolutely phenomenal lady. I mean, just these these tough, gritty westerns that she would write, and then you'd see pictures of her and just this little gray-haired woman with cat-eye glasses on a chain. She had like Charlotte um, Hall. <laughs> yeah, just not anybody that you would, just not what you would picture. Yeah. Um, she looked like so, She looked like my grandma. Yeah, exactly. I mean, her glasses are on a chain. Her sweater is on a chain. The whole woman is on a chain, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nothing that you would, not at all what you would put together for somebody who writes about the American West. Yeah, but yeah. You know, she did and was quite and quite wonderful um, in doing so. I love, I love her work. And even though, I mean, she, I have one of her, um, she wrote a um, nonfiction book called Famous Lawmen of the Old West that I have on my shelf. Uh, she wrote a lot of fiction stories. I, I'm still struggling to work on my one fiction piece that someday, someday I'll do something with. Well, and we'll talk but, about that, but we got to first do a break. We're oh, talking with. On, uh, really? I, I know, I know. Oh, Harry. got to pay some bills here. I'm more okay. Sorry. <laughs> All right. We're t- <laughs> you are in okay. tune with Emil Franzi's The Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Uh, Todd Roberts is here. Bunker de France is here. And uh, our guest is. Chris Enns, uh, president of the Western Writers of America Association, and we're going to take our first commercial break here. We'll be back with much more right after this. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true West, where a large number of Westerns were built. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm Miss Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. 
Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic Western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We are back on Animal Fancy's Voices of the West. I like that, do you, Bunker? Yeah, I love that <laughs> bass fiddle there. Boom, boom, boom. That's all right. Little, little Slap that bass. Slapping bass there. All right. Uh, we're talking with uh, author Chris Enns. She's also the president of the Western Writers of America. And uh, you're, in, you're working on a project now, Chris, with... Uh, 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 I'm going to screw up his name. Howard... Thank you. Thank you. Uh, On uh, Bill Tillman, Zoe Stratton, The Making of a Legendary Lawman. Oh, boy. And I just, I'm I'm so looking forward to getting to that. We, uh, Howard and I have uh, quite a few books that we have to do between here, between now and 2024. And that's one of them. Uh, But I, Bill Tillman is probably, in my estimation, the greatest lawman of all time. Mm Mm-hmm. I wrote a little bit about Tillman when I wrote a book called Thunder Over the Prairie, about the most um, intrepid um, posse of the Old West. And it was a posse made up of Tillman, uh, Bat Masterson of Wyatt Earp, and um, Charlie Bassett. Mm-hmm. And the four of them were on the trail of um, the killer of Dora Han out of Dodge City. Right. And um, I, everything that you read about, about um, Tillman, there isn't anybody from that particular group that he was with who didn't say he was the finest of them all. Mm. You know, um, it's interesting. He worked for a distant relative of mine, E.D. Nix, and he was the head of the uh, Marshalls for Oklahoma Territory. And he has a book out, if you've ever come across it or try to come across it, it's called Okla Ombre. Mm. And it's got, it's got the history in there of uh, the Oklahoma Strip, uh, the Indian Nation, it's got uh, it covered, he, he was partners with Tillman with the Miller Brothers and the film company. And, oh, how about that? Yeah. Just, yeah, Tillman was way ahead of his time, but I mean, here was a guy who was a law enforcement agent because he loved the law and he loved um, serving the letter of the law. Whenever he would go into a, a county to arrest somebody, he would always first go in and check in with local law enforcement. Mm-hmm. He wasn't somebody that tried to subjugate the, his authority. He just would do things by the book, and he was tough. But this particular uh, book uh, about him is going to be how his relationship with his wife Zoe uh, pretty much made him, put him on the map. I mean, he was uh, forced to be reckoned with on his own, but um, Zoe was the author who made sure that everybody recognized what an amazing person uh, Bill Tillman was. He was a poster child for uh, a Western family. Yeah, he sure was, yeah. And just, as I said, I mean, he, um, he was unlike Earp and Masterson in the sense that they were mostly, they were not necessarily um, long-term lawmen. They um, came in and out job. of a job whenever yeah. they needed some money. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was not the case for Tillman. He was uh, a full-time lawman, and I just would never have wanted to meet him on the trail. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, wrote about him not only in Thunder of the Prairie, but I also wrote um, a book called uh, Sam Six Killer. Oh, yeah. And six killer women. So, speaking of, go ahead. Go ahead. Speaking speaking of the uh, uh, women who have, shall I say, helped make their man. There's a great book about Charlie Russell's wife, Nancy. Oh yeah. Called uh, uh, Behind Every Man. I wanted to know, had you read that, Chris, and what you thought of it? I have read it, and I I think that it's just amazing. I mean. I, she was she was a force to be reckoned with too. Mm-hmm. I mean, Business Charlie woman. Russell was such a talent, but it took um, it took Nancy, and I believe she was oh she was about fifteen years um, younger than he was, maybe even At more least. than that. But I, she yeah, had such a head 
she had such a head for business. Yeah, and, she was um, an amazing woman. Yeah, absolutely yeah, amazing very, woman. Very much so. I always loved the story of, um, you know, he was painting and he'd sell a painting here and there, but he had run up a, he had run up a bill at Our a bill. bar in town <laughs> for five hundred dollars, and uh, he kept getting uh, prodded by the owner to pay it. And he said, "Well, how about uh, I got this painting, and uh, and this the bar owner said, okay, let me look at it.' And he looked at it, and he said, "Yeah, I'll take that in exchange for the five hundred dollars cash." And um, he went home, and uh, she came out to the studio one day after all that, and said, "Well, where's that big one you had? I, I think it's either um, in without knocking or smoke of a forty-five. It's still hanging in that bar and uh, in Montana and." She said, where's that big painting? And he said, oh, I uh, took care of my bar bill. <laughs> she said, your bar bill? Yeah. What do, you, what, what do you mean, your bar bill? How much could your bar bill be? She thought it was probably $30, $40. And he said, 500 And she said, 500 Have you been buying drinks for the state? Yep. <laughs> and and she, he said, well, you know, I have a lot of friends. And she said, that's it. Uh, you no longer uh, you're responsible for painting them. I'm responsible for selling them. Yeah. And from wow. that moment on, he never sold another painting or sculpture. Mm. Wow. You know, if you and, go up uh, to Montana, uh, they're still coming out of the woodwork uh, letters where he did a little artwork on it. Wow. Uh, hotels right. and bars where right. he, he right. paid a bar bill. Mm. Uh, some of the paintings he'd do the same painting several times, mm -hmm. uh, but the big difference was. That there would be a brand on the horse, and it would be the brand of the, of the, ranch, the ranch of the guy that yeah. he, he did it for. Chris, do you have a favorite book that you have done so far? Well, I think that it's going to have to be, for me, it's going to have to be um, The Trials of Annie Oakley. Okay. Right, mm -hmm. right now. I mean, it just depends on what day of the week it is, mm -hmm. I guess, because exactly. I've just been able, I've had such a great pleasure of being able to write about so many women, but... That book about Annie Oakley was, um, it came across things that I never knew about Annie um, and spent some time in uh, Pinehurst, North Carolina, uh, gleaning as much as I could about her home there when she lived in North Carolina, there at Pinehurst, and she had a shooting school there. And um, Pinehurst, of course, is not necessarily known for Annie Oakley shooting school. It's known for golf. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So I mean, it was funny yeah. to be to be at Pinehurst doing research and and looking for Annie's home, <laughs> and having these golfers tell me it's about a five iron away from here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, have you ever thought about doing anything on the Great Western? The Great Western. Yeah, the that redheaded, the crazy redhead that was all over Texas and uh, Arizona. You know, I I don't think I have wanted to do anything about that. You know, you got to be careful about. I did this book called Wicked Women, mm -hmm. which was about, um, you know, your most notorious bad girls. And I had a good time doing that. If I could maybe pull her into a co another compilation like that, I probably would. Uh -huh. But standalone, it's really. I mean, you have to spend. I'm I'm also a licensed private investigator, so I like to yeah. deep dive. So uh, you guys you, spend a lot of, lot of time doing deep dive on, on people like that. When you're researching these books and you're using your uh, uh, private investigator skills, do you uh, uh, enhance any uh, disguises? <laughs> you know what? I have not done that so far, but there have been a couple of times I thought I probably should. Um, uh, I wrote a book called The Death of All Stars which is the oh, true story of uh, story. inmates who played baseball yep. in Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. And um, I've never been in more trouble in my whole life than I was working on that book. <laughs> that, um, would, that book would make a great uh, documentary or even, a, even just a fictionalized uh, version of that as a TV movie or miniseries. Well, you know, it has been optioned a couple of times, um, just never has gone um, any further than that. Um, mm -hmm. From your lips to God's ears, though. Yeah. So. Well, you've got a couple of uh, your titles optioned, don't you? Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to have that. The Pinks has been optioned by NBC, and they hired their head writer, Terry Cobb. Oh, and, good. Um, 
I'm excited about that. I think that they're in talks right now with uh, Alicia Keys to play uh, Hattie Lawson, hmm. who was uh, uh, who was a, an amazing spy with the Pinker Detective Agency. So uh, yeah, I've I've been very blessed to um, been a part of that that aspect of the writing. Well, what's been we'll happening? See what happens. What's been happening with Iron Ladies? Uh, you know, women who help build. The American Railroad. Well, Iron Ladies was supposed to be out in October, but because oh. of um, the COVID shutting everything down, yeah, um, with that that title's been pushed back to March, which is fine because that's Women's History Month, and that's a good time to recognize mm-hmm. what um, these these amazing women what they did to influence the American Railroad. Because I always thought that was absolutely fascinating how. Um, you see some of the early pictures from when the spike, the golden spike, was placed in, right. at uh, in the in the railroad in Promontory Point in Utah. They made a big issue of saying there's not a single woman in any of these pictures, and that's because women didn't have a hand in laying any of the track or surveying any of the land. But without women being integral to what was going on after. With the development, further development of the rate, the uh, train, you railroad department, you wouldn't have had anybody wanting to get on going any further at all. So well, you know the Harvey girls, but you know also yeah. the Hell on Wheel towns. You know, oh they, yeah, that was half the Hell population. Hell on Wheel towns. Uh, but this book, um, Iron Iron uh, Women, does it, it comprises of a whole women that influenced the American railroad from. Dr. Mary Pennington, Mary Pennington, who invented the first refrigerator car for the railroad, to uh, Laura Bullion, who mm-hmm. was um, the one of the only women, and certainly the only women with the Wild Bunch, who robbed um, the last train robbed in the United States. Good for her. So yeah, it, it, <laughs> that was yeah. You, she's it's safe to say she set different goals for herself than. Yeah. Uh, so, Curie. Victoria, if you I can rob a train, uh, I can rob a train. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, hang, hang on a second. got to take our next break here, and our guest is Chris Enns. She's president of Western Writers of America, an author of Western um, books, and uh, all-around cool gal. Um, Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Bunker to France is here. I'm Harry Alexander. Oh, yeah. We'll be back with much more right after these very, very important messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club announces summer trap and skeet leagues beginning Tuesday, June 24th for trap and five stand, and Thursday, June 26th for skeet. The league runs eight weeks and competition begins at 6.30 p.m. Call 304-8300. 
888-883-6426 to sign up. Summer office hours are 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's 883-6426, Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday between 7.30 and 1 p.m. to sign up for Summer Trap and Skeet League. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Out podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Out podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases. But there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or Movie Pass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movies Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movies Out. Until then, and that's a wrap. You're not going to use the story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. This is the Voices of the West. And we've got our own legend in the studio here, Bunker de France. and why, uh, Legend why, in my own mind. <laughs> that's why I have to play the uh, theme to High Chaparral there. Um, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, mm-hmm. Todd Roberts. We're back on Emil France. He's a better, voice. Of I'll leave you, you know. I know you will. And our guest is uh, Chris Enns, uh, Western Writers of America president and uh, author and... And very funny lady. And, ver- and very funny lady. You know, yeah, I've got, I've get got, into that yeah, there. Chris... I, you ruined my life. Oh, I did. <laughs> you did. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I got all of a sudden. I have this fixation on my closet, <laughs> and it's all because you got this uh, <laughs> blog. In, oh my gosh! Uh, what's you guys going have on in, on in my closet? You know, the, the, <laughs> and and I, I went. I went there. Started with the madness, and <laughs> I fell out of my chair. <laughs> And I hope I hope your husband finds the silverware. Oh, the poor guy. <laughs> the poor guy. Well, I mean, I think that, gosh, and I was just goofing around because I was just absolutely so so frustrated. Um, but I think it's something that everybody could identify with. You know, uh, you 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 love the person that you're married to, but you know, after a while, you're like, okay, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. Quarantine or no, somebody's got to get out of here. <laughs> how many? How many years? Um, we're going on thirty-two. Yeah, I've I've managed to make forty-eight. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah congratulations. See? Yeah. And so, and, Chris, and you I, love the person, but oh, yeah. enough is enough already. Oh yeah. yeah. You know? Well, it's like so sit, sitting in the you, pickup for uh, four hours is like you know okay <laughs> that's, a, that's enough time to <laughs> so get to Seven Eleven. I have to ask you, Chris, uh, not that you need more subjects. I'm sure you have plenty of subjects to write books about, but have you ever considered uh, doing a book on Victoria Woodall, the first woman Um, to run for president in 1872, and who, by the way, legend has it, if the women's votes would have been counted, she would have won by more than a million votes? Well, I have written... um magazine articles about her and i have included her in um other books that i have written as a matter of fact um i think she's in one of my wicked women books because you know interesting enough and no wonder her she would have been uh the front runner in many things but interesting enough her platform was free love (laughs) uh well my 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 dad uh, was a personal talent manager for many years, amongst many other things. One of the acts that he managed was Freddie and Mickey Finn. Freddie was the man, uh, the husband. Mickey was the wife, and they did a 1920s Har- uh, Harlem, Louisiana, New Orleans hot jazz with comics and so on, all dressed in candy stripe outfits. After they got divorced, she went on and somehow raised the money and wrote a play and performed it here in Los Angeles. My father wouldn't go, but my mother made me take her, and I was her escort, and they made a musical. Freddie, uh, Mickey Finn wrote a musical about Victoria Woodhull's life. Oh, my gosh. Well, And they never a- mentioned that she one of her, her major platform was Free Love. But yeah, major platform was Free Love. I think you probably know. Hopefully that was in the play. The other thing that was in the play that was so... 
important was that she and her sister Tennessee were uh, clairvoyants, or their their dad was was their booking manager, and and placed them in theaters all over um, as as clairvoyants, and they were incredibly popular as well as a uh, as, as a number of um, people that were bilking the the public were in 1866, 1867 as clairvoyants, and that was because so many families had lost their loved ones in the Civil War, and they wanted to know where they were and what happened to them. And so Tennessee and Victoria, her sister, uh, would take to the stage and claim to be these clairvoyants and tell audience members where they could find their loved ones and what their loved ones, what messages their loved ones wanted to send, send to them. Well, I'm sure there was a lot of uh, uh, disruption in, in marriages all across this country because a lot of women went to the polls and wrote, wrote, in her, wrote her name and stuffed the ballot boxes. And there were fights at the polling places, and there were fights in homes of well, husbands of saying, you're not was, leaving this house. A, lo- a lot of that was funded by Vanderbilt, who um, they... Tennessee and Victoria were the first women who had license to um, be on the stock were stock stock exchangers. Mm. They were two of the first to have that, and they took care of all of Vanderbilt's wealth. And uh, wow. so, a lot of those people that stuffed the ballot weren't necessarily women; they were just people stuffing the ballot because they got paid. Yeah, well, there, this is all. This was none of this was in the in the play. <laughs> really. So. See, I would yeah. think that would be that would sell. I mean, she, they were just controversial characters. Yeah. Very much um, so. Very much so. I just always felt it was interesting that, as legend has it, as I said, that if all those illegitimate votes would have been counted, she would have won. The more women turned out than men turned out that year for the popular vote. And uh, that's a very interesting thing, considering as though... In today's world, we barely get 30% of the population to vote. Right. I, I absolutely agree with you. I thought that she was a fascinating character. I remember, too, that she um, mentioned that Frederick Douglass was her running mate, and that's mm. what Frederick Douglass said. Wait a second. Leave me out of this. <laughs> I had nothing. I don't know you. I don't have anything to do with this. Especially if your platform is free love. And the, her whole idea about free love was, Women should be allowed to say when they want to make love to a man, wherever it would be, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's, I mean, that was her whole platform. Right okay. there on the buffet table. Hey. I'm just, I'm I down with it. About, <laughs> I was amazed I, that I, you I, didn't really need much money. I have than to be that. honest with you, I never, I, I, I never met one of those girls in high school. <laughs> so, um. Well, you know, this is a great time to segue into entertaining women. Actresses, yeah. dancers, and singers of the old west. Oh yeah, that yeah. It's, there was just so many amazing, talented women uh, west of the Mississippi who were um, working on bringing the fine arts to um, the different areas of the country. And one of the favorite women that I write about is a woman by the name of uh, Kate Rockwell, who was known as the Flame of the Yukon. Mm. And just an amazing talent. She could sing. She could dance. Um, she was known as the Flame of the Yukon because she wore red chiffon from head to toe. <laughs> and uh, she would come out, and um, the the piano would strike up, and she would begin singing. And then at a certain time in the uh, musical, she would spin around as quickly as possible. And all of that chiffon would go standing out. And it would make it look like she was on fire, hence the term Flame of the Yukon. (laughs) But if you you saw her act, there was no reason to go back again, because that was it. (laughs) Um, One shot. One trick pony. Yeah. At some point in her career, she added roller skates to the act. Um, (laughs) So that was a little diversification. But she married um, uh, one of the bartenders in the Yukon where she was performing, and he became her quasi-manager and booked her in places as far south as um, Dallas, Texas, and as far east as uh, St. Louis, and um, just kept her working all the time. And when he felt that she would always send her money back home, and when she felt when he felt as though she was a little bit too long in the tooth, 
he sent her he sent his lover to her to train for the act and then when she got his uh, mistress trained uh, he fired um, <coughs> Kate, Kate wow. Rockwell wow. but he had taken all of Kate's money and invested it in Nickelodeons and theaters and uh, Kate dies a pauper but her husband who had built who had used her money to buy up all of these different theaters we know him he's very famous uh alexander pantages oh. of the pantages theaters wow awesome. alexander pantages wow. yeah My goodness so wow. if you were That's going by the pantages story. theater there in, in los angeles i say spit and say hurrah for kate <laughs> mm. yeah yeah because it had okay. nothing for kate rockwell there would be no money for those theaters yeah well, you so know, where do you place Lily Langtree? Oh, Lily Langtree on the stage. Was, um, absolutely, <laughs> the most beautiful woman, one of the most beautiful women ever, and actually, she got her start as a professional beauty. If you can imagine this, she's so gorgeous. She's hired to go to parties and sit and um, just be at these parties and have uh, authors write poems about her on the spot musicians write songs about her on the spot and these incredible artists just to do drawings of her and um, as a matter of fact she was the first pinup woman um, people would do drawings of her men would do drawings of her and sketches of her and then uh, she those those sketches would be sold for a penny a sketch hmm. and um, wow. she she was not satisfied with just being a beauty when she got on stage she trained to be the uh, amazing actress that she was. And I write about her, I've written about her several times, but she's going to be in um, the book Iron Women, which um, she had a special train that she traveled around, her car for this train that she traveled around in was known as the La Lee. And uh, the La Lee had all of um, the uh, modern refinements that you could think of at the time all wow. the amenities nice wow so, we're talking yeah. with chris ends author and president of western writers of america western writers are bringing you this program as well uh we got to take our final break here and be back with much more of amo franzi's voices of the west right after these very important messages don't run away cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Hymas Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Hymas Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. 
Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. A little bit of rolling on saloon there. Uh, Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. This is Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Our guest is uh, Chris Ann's author and president of the Western Writers of America. Chris, uh, is there a particular Western movie that, in your mind, personifies women of the West? Oh, boy. I, I think that that's going to... I don't know whether you've seen Godless... But that's, oh, yeah. the most, that's the, one of the most recent ones that I can think of. That um, what do you what do you, you think? You know, the, I, I am a real comedy buff. Yeah. So for me, um, the Cheyenne Social Club. Mm-hmm. That's a cute um, movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. movie. I was, um, Westward the Women. What do you think of that? I it's fantastic. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, you know, this last Meeks week, Crossing is another one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's a great movie. You know, this past week we lost John Saxon and Olivia de Havilland, and I think this would be a great opportunity uh, to get your uh, viewpoint, especially on de Havilland, as and her contribution to the early westerns with Flynn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, I'm telling you, she I love the work that she did with Errol Flynn. Um, especially since right now I'm working on this book about um, the Custers, mm-hmm. and um, oh yeah, I think that Flynn was probably as flamboyant as as uh, <laughs> not flamboyant. Maybe that's not the word. He was pretty showy. Yes, as, yeah. as Custer was, you know. Um, she made a great Libby. Yeah, she did. Um, their she... their relationship, though, in the film was much more um, calm than. Than the real yeah. Libby and George, but yeah. what a you know they 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 got along very well, and she was in the field with him quite a bit. But um, yeah, Olivia De Havilland was was a phenomenal actress. I mean, my favorite movie that she did was not necessarily a western, but it was one called The Heiress. Yeah, with Montgomery Cliff. Mm. Oh yeah, yes. oh that fabulous was a great film. movie. Yeah. Fabulous. Oh wow. my gosh, <laughs> I mean she yeah. she. Um, she does so with her expression and with her mannerisms. She sets I mean, him straight. <laughs> she brought yeah. she brought some of the best out of her yeah. male co-stars. Yeah. She definitely did. Yeah. yeah, she did. I mean, and, and and for so many years, I mean, you watch her in that, and then you watch her in um, Hush, Hush, Sweet Charlotte with <laughs> Betty Davis. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, she yeah. was only like 20 years old when she uh, did uh, Captain Blood. Uh, with Flynn, I think. Oh, that's one of my favorites. And and I remember seeing an interview with her on Turner Classic Movies about uh, the, the the question was was Errol Flynn, oh shall we say, wanting to get frisky with you? And she said, yes, he definitely wanted to, and I made sure that he kept wanting to. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that was the reason for their chemistry on uh, stage, yeah, from yeah, Robin Hood yeah. to. Um, I think it was Robin Hood. It wasn't Robin and Marion. Yeah, uh, Ro- no, it was Robin Hood Robin and yeah. uh, Captain Blood, the Seahawk, and yep. uh, she she used to tease him. Yes, because he would he would you know he'd bring her flowers or chocolates or he'd write a little poem or he'd bring her some perfume and he was trying to you know wine her and dine her and you know this is all the things that he had done time and time again with everybody else and it Never always failed. worked. Yeah. And it never worked with Olivia. And right. he would say things to her like, you know, oh, you know, Olivia, you have no re- you have no idea how much I love you. And she'd say things like, oh, Errol, you're such a silly little boy. Right. Isn't that amazing? You know, and, I mean, and I... And I yeah, and you, know, you have no idea how my heart breaks for you or these things. And, and, he, and she would just always just play it off like, Errol, stop, you know... <coughs> Stop teasing. It's just not polite amongst <laughs> friends. Well, you well, know, and she, she was smart because that did that did keep that yeah. chemistry between them sure. always fresh. Yep. Well, and she had a real playfulness in the last years of her life. As we know, she's lived in Paris now for probably thirty years, 60, maybe longer. Sixty-seven years. And when fifty-seven years, 67. and when you went to visit her, um, when you went to visit her. Um, Everyone drank champagne. Yeah. 
103 years old. And you were given a glass old. of champagne, and, you know, uh, if, you didn't get drunk, but it was a playful, happy mood yeah. and time. Well, 104 years old is a long life. You couldn't life. leave, yeah. you know. Yeah. And obviously, it obviously had an effect on her health. Yeah, you well, know, 104. Right. Yeah, people, the champagne. Some people, or, are able to, oh. some people are able to pull that off. You know, I, my, a lot of my yeah. family is from the Ozarks, so I think that that, you know, they've been drinking a lot of moonshine, and they could probably pull that off, and it really would not make any dent in their liver whatsoever. <laughs> oh, it pickled them. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, but, I, you know, people, when they comment on my cigar smoking, I always say, George Burns was 99. Georgie Jessel was 95, and Milton Burrow was 93, and they smoked every day. Yep. So there has to be, because I think what it brings to the person who's doing it, like she did with champagne, it made her happy. And happiness right. is the best uh, protection against sickness. Best medicine. Yep. Well, she had to have had, like I said, 104 years. There had Maybe that was the secret. Um, mm. I know that years ago... I did. I opened for George Burns at a at a um, uh, one of the casinos there in Tahoe. Oh, great! Um, and he just was an amazing person. It was way late in his life, but he would say he woke up every morning and he would look at the obituaries, and if his name wasn't there, he'd keep going. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. smoke another yeah, cigar. Yeah, which is that's the line Carl Reiner stole from him. Because Carl oh. Reiner used to say that he smoked nine to twelve white owls a day. That was George Burns? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Carl Carl Reiner also smokes cigars, has a box at the Grand Havana Room in, in Beverly Hills, but after Meathead, his son, um, decided to create the anti-smoking campaign in California, he kind of went under the radar with it. Mm. He didn't yeah. want to embarrass his son, but he was an avid cigar smoker. All sometimes, those guys were. Sometimes the fruit falls a little too close to the tree. Yeah, well, sometimes I, it gets stepped Carl, on. I thought Carl Reiner was incredibly funny, too. Oh, yes. um, You know, he, and I don't remember him doing too many westerns, but he did a movie called The Thrill of It All with uh, James Garner and Doris mm. Day. And in there, he, there's a clip of him um, doing a western. He's, he's in a television show doing a television show about, <laughs> a west, about the West. Nice. nice. That's awesome. You know, I, w I want to comment on something. Uh, your photo site, it is, it is a fashion plate for period clothing and, and, and the look. And I learned so much about you in the, looking at those pictures, because I studied pictures. I love them. And one of the things, though, I noticed uh, Leslie Carter, uh, an actress that's in your book, uh, of similarity of you guys, you you remind you remind me of each other. Oh, how about that? I'm gonna have to look up Leslie's photo now. That's mm. how about that? Yeah. Huh. Well, what well, about? I I tell you what, I love I love that that clothing from that time period. I I you know it it covers a multitude of sins, doesn't <laughs> it? I mean, do you make your own? No, I do not make my own. I um, there's a great um. Uh, clothing company called Recollections Inc. Mm -hmm. and they have a lot of wonderful Old West clothing so I do that and then I just kind of piece things together from a variety of areas but um, no I I don't have that gift I mean I, I just if a button falls off my shirt it's just going to stay gone <laughs> well, but, well I, I'm sorry Chris to plug my friends shamelessly but they have a fabulous company in Arizona called Buckaroo Bobbins Oh, and they okay. make old Western clothing. They give you the patterns. You make it yourself, or she'll make it custom-made, and she can wow. make anything. Oh, my scenes are old. I'm she does. That. Yeah, Buckaroo Bobbins. It's Geneva and Roger okay. Eads. E A D S. Okay. And I'll I'll get you their number. Um, and she makes anything from leather to wool to twill. To cotton to uh, just everything, uh, and he's they have a, a traveling store that's on a flatbed truck, and they drive it to all the big cowboy shows and cowboy wow. shoots. And well, I, you know, I'm a member of SAS, so I wonder if I might have seen him at any of the SAS events. Oh, I'm sure so. you have. There, uh, yeah, she she literally is the 
she has two markets, the do-it-yourself market and then the person who walks in and says, I want that. Guys, we are out of time. Oh, shucks. Oh, come Chris, on. Chris, really? I know, I know. Let's go another hour. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Chris, thanks for joining us. We Thank you guys it. so much. So I much. always have such a good time. Yes. Thank you. Thank and you. Tons of fun with you. And... Uh, Tons of fun we're going to have with Western Riders this year. I'm, yeah. I, I just know it. It's going to be good. Um, good. Good stuff. As soon as I get my June issue. <laughs> He's still harping on that. All right. Todd, thank you much. Thank you. And, thank you, Chris. And uh, we'll uh, be talking at you guys again uh, next time well, here on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Well, 78, 79, 80. So on. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West.